Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. It's just not right how existing businesses run today, where profits are oftentimes more important and valuable than people. What if instead of ignoring and turning a blind eye to a dog-eat-dog corporate culture, we instead talked about solutions and a different business model? This morning, I am joined by Shirley Chalk. Shirley graduated with her bachelor's in economics from the University of Chicago and enjoyed a 20-year career in finance and administration. During this time, she also began training under Grandmaster Iping Chang and in 2006 became the U.S. Women's Tai Chi National Champion. Over the course of her career, Shirley realized her Tai Chi training was instrumental in helping her manage workplace stress, conflicts, as well as associates. In 2012, she was named Working Mother Magazine's Working Mother of the Year for Yale University. In 2017, Shirley became the owner of AP. Tai Ching Center, Southern Connecticut's largest Tai Chi school established in 1996 by her mentor. She is speaking today in the capacity of one who trains women around stress and conflict management. She is a certified corporate wellness specialist. What I hope the listeners or viewers today will learn are remedies to increase the health of the corporation or the corporate culture, as well as its employees, shareholders, and all related parties. Welcome, Shirley. Thank you so much, Angelina. So happy to be here in your program. Thank you so much for joining. I very much appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to the expertise that you'll bring. Um, We've chatted over the past year over the telephone and Zoom. And is there anything that I may have missed in your background that you would like to add? Um, I think that maybe I should just mention my perspective is quite unique because it comes from the Tai Chi training that I've had and how that um, reflects my view and my experiences in the corporate world. So it may be a little bit different than what other women may Um, have in their own experiences. So it brings a different perspective, which um, may not be so well known. So I'm really happy to share that. And these are all from my own personal experiences, what I have experienced and seen around me as I navigated the corporate world. um, As a woman. Before, as a woman. Yes. Before I started my Tai Chi training and after, and the differences that I have experienced um, in my own 
navigation of um, change this. and conflict and um, advancing in my career. So the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is not only because we have talked about difficult topics in the past year, but also because I think it's important for women, not just women, but I will, will say specifically women, to know how to survive and thrive, but also to bring up some of this, and it might be uncomfortable for some viewers or listeners, because it's not readily talked about. And if someone is blindsided, it can impact their legacy. So as this is a legacy series, um, I'm titling this um, something along the gray areas of legacy or how to navigate or resolve the gray areas. So how might you describe the gray areas? And there will be some show notes with a couple of um, news articles regarding some challenges that women have faced in the corporate world, no matter their level within that corporate structure, whether they're uh, at the top management or their entry level. So how might you de define the gray areas? Yeah, um, I like to find the gray areas as the uncharted paths that other women have not charted for the women behind them. So we have women in corporate life is not a new thing. There are many, there are, many women who have succeeded wonderfully in the corporate world, but um, on very particular paths. So if you follow those paths that have already been charted are well-worn, mm -hmm. then um, there are no gray areas because um, it's very clearly defined how to succeed. So they're it's not the pioneer. When, right, they, right. They're not at the front getting this if flag. you want to go and succeed on a different path that's where the gray areas are and just like it so i you'll notice that i'll use a lot of references to nature um, because the practice is a practice that is very deeply rooted in nature that I do. The tai, and the, so yes. the, the Tai Chi practice. Yes. And so a lot of my references will um, be in, uh, in reference to nature. So and when I think about going off the well-worn path, when you're out in nature, um, you will get bloodied, scratched. Um, you're the first to go through a wilderness. And the, for me, that's the gray area. So eventually a path will be worn if enough people, you may be the first, but mm -hmm. you won't be the last. And there will be others who will follow that path that you made. But whenever you are the first, you're going to get bloodied and um, scratched as you make that path forward. Absolutely. And I just want to make a reference to a moment that a part of being that first or one of the first or a pioneer within um, the corporate arena can be changing people's beliefs, whether it's beliefs that they realize or ingrained beliefs that might be so subconscious or, or unconscious that they don't even realize that they might have a bias against a woman in a leadership position, or they might mm -hmm. uh, want to box her in. Um, and, and so generally, I'm speaking, this is kind of a woman's conversation today. But um, so yeah, that's what I, I think that when somebody has to change somebody else's belief system, that can be 
like digging a new six foot trench through the Arctic regarding mm-hmm. what that woman uh, might have to go through because other people can say, well, that's not the norm and that can make right. them very uncomfortable. Okay, so I'm just going to mention that the two articles there within the public corporate culture world, but we're gonna get to private family businesses later on. So um, the two articles in the show notes um, are about women who are unfairly terminated And not only were they blindsided by the termination, but it was also the lack of support that followed by others, whether the others were bystanders that wanted to go along to get along, or they just didn't want to get their hands dirty because why have the hassle of, you know, trying to stand up for somebody else's battle. So one of the articles is about a young lady uh, by the name of Amanda, Amanda Lai, I think that's how I pronounce her last name, at JLL in Los Angeles who sued for wrongful termination, sexual harassment, retaliation for complaining about illegal conduct and breach of contract. And the second article involves a seasoned professional named Karen Ward, who is a senior manager at Ernst & Young. She spoke up about sexual harassment and was caught in a web of retaliation only to lose her lawsuit later on. So are these single cases? No, uh, they're not. And so I think a lot of times when somebody is defining, developing, and executing their legacy, it might be an easy path, but there could also be challenges regarding um, what we don't expect, because there is envy in this world. There, there is bias. There is prejudice. There is the, how, how, what words might you give it, Shirley, before we move on to the next question? I think um, for these cases, it is not, um, unique. It happens all the time, but it is about culture. You use the word culture and it is about culture. And I think that it's worth talking about what does culture mean? Um, I think that people use this term a lot and um, it without really understanding the um, true meaning of the term culture. Culture is kind of like the habits of your environment. It's what people do because that's what everybody else does. And a culture is what people just naturally assume should happen because it's what always happens. So when you disrupt that what normally happens, then you're going up against a big tidal wave. But culture a tsunami is <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Um, but culture is malleable, just like habits are malleable. Culture is not something that you can forcibly change, just like habits aren't something that you can forcibly change with one um, concerted effort one time. If you want to change your own habits, it's remembering to do it every single day until it becomes the thing that you do without having to think about. And that's true for culture as well. Um, I think a lot of people want to change culture and believe that it's something that you can do from the top down. Mm. And that doesn't work because culture, it's just like habits. It's what people will just normally do without thinking. And um, it's actually quite malleable. So if you look at... Um, in 
parts around the world and what becomes part of their culture. There are some very um, unique things that seep into uh, countries' cultures. How did it get there? Like Swedish meatballs. Uh, my sister lives in Denmark. Swedish meatballs, the meatballs didn't originate in Sweden, but can you think of, you know, Swedish cuisines without meatballs? Like it has become a part of Swedish culture. And that happens in the corporate environment as well, where it, it has to happen where things become accepted by the people who work in that organization. It can't happen from the top down and it can't be changed by one person trying to change the culture. Now, uh, so I think that that is where women wind up um, becoming very disillusioned and very discouraged when they find themselves in a corporate culture with, that's not used to having women around. And um, I, I think that there's a lot of pressure put on our young women um, and that is pressure that they put on themselves. It's also pressure that their parents put on them and pressure that society puts on them. I think this is especially true for American women, where American young women, American girls are told their whole lives that, you know, they're going to change the world. That oh, sure. They're going to have these opportunities that nobody else had. And um, think about, you know, so I grew up in the United States. Um, so I have a uniquely Eastern and Western perspective. I spent part of my youth growing up in Asia, uh, but the rest of it growing up in the United States where I um, spent all of my summers over in Asia. So um, it's a both a Eastern mindset, mindset and yes. also a Western mindset. The Western mindset, um, I was told that I can do whatever I put my mind to. Women can do everything that boys can do. Um, women are going to change the world. And then you go to college and you're told that you are the future leaders of this world. You can do anything. Right. And then you graduate from college with these expectations of everything that you are going to be able to do to change the world. And then you face reality. Right. And, and, and can I just want to interrupt for a second? Yeah. And one of the conversations that we had before today is about how colleges can sometimes be like a, this is a metaphor, so I don't want anyone to get upset, a metaphor of mm -hmm. um a zoo that has safety glass, whereas the real world is like a jungle or a concrete jungle where the safety glass isn't there. Now, having said that, um, that doesn't mean that obviously colleges are always great environments because one of the conversations that we've also had prior to today is about two documentaries, one being The Hunting Ground. The Hunting Ground was mm -hmm. by uh, directors Kirby Dick and Amy Zarian, and also they had The Invisible War. So again, um, individuals being blindsided by hostile environments and then trying to figure out how do they rebuild so that they end up not mm. being traumatized for the rest of their lives and mm. um, being able to reconnect with their values and build a legacy. So mm. anyways, back over to you, Shirley. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely go over some of those things and my thoughts on, on those things. But, you know, I just want to uh, 
kind of start off the conversation for women to realize how unfair an expectation it is that they have put on themselves before they have even faced um, the realities of the world. You know, um, you know, many people as they go through, um, you know, high school, college, they still live, uh, you know, a uh, they they haven't really faced the realities of life somewhat and somewhat really, sheltered, somewhat sheltered, right? right? Because the world really is a, a jungle. It really is, um, and uh, American children are taught about this concept of fairness. Um, <laughs> And this is very uniquely American, I feel like, because over in Asia, no one talks about things being fair or unfair. Right, that's Hollywood. Thank you, Hollywood and John Wayne. Yes, yeah, go ahead. John Wayne's going to show up on his horse and it's all going to be wrapped up at the end of two hours. Keep going. Yeah, so, so, um, you know, over in Asia, the world is what it is. And a lot of the world is unfair. And that is the reality of life. In um, the United States, we hold a very high degree um, to this concept of things being fair um, Mm -hmm. when we teach our children. And um, so when for women, especially facing the realities of life where things really are not fair. Um, it's a bigger hurdle for them to, to pass um, greater disappointments where you know, they have the expectation that they should be able to have- Be treated equally. Be treated equally, mm-hmm. have things be fair, have people around you look out for you um, that things are fair um, and that you should be able to do everything you want to do. Or, so or, that, or, sorry to interrupt you, or the world owes women um, uh, that women ought to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, I this think illusion that, that women, that other people owe me protection. That um, may be the Disney effect where okay. uh, if you grow up watching Disney, um, Um, there is like chivalry in the world and that's what you should expect. And there um, are good people. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely are. Absolutely okay. are. I mean, I think that now more than ever, you you have people who identify as allies. This was a word I had never heard of before when I first entered the workforce. So I graduated college in 1996. And I graduated, as you mentioned, um, my degree was in economics. Um, at the University of Chicago, not that many women um, in my class um, economics classes. Um, I decided to go into the financial realm. Um, I didn't go into investment banking or consulting. I decided that I didn't want to pursue those paths. I did my summer internship in college in Goldman Sachs in Hong Kong. And um, that summer, I made that realization really quickly that I did not want to be a part of this um, really insane um, environment where the expectation is you just give your entire life to the The company. company. Um, 
that and you have like no life of your own I I decided that that just did not fit with what I wanted in my life um but you know I did go into the finance sector where it is still you know quite male dominated so um you know I did experience uh, a lot of what uh, many young women still experience you know coming up in the corporate world. Um, there were jobs that, um, there were a lot of women who did very, um, they were very successful. Um, I chose to go a different path and I had to navigate that. Um, so I did have to go and enter the gray areas and figure it out. And, um, you know, probably on your own, I would imagine for men, much of it. Because who, yeah. who, who do you talk to? And I, I know that there have been times that you've been in a boardroom and it's been all men. And again, this is not to put men down, uh, but just to realize that there are certain qualities that maybe titans of the industries have that allow them to go out there and get the business, but it might not make them particularly, what, what would be the words that you would use, Shirley? Um. I, so my personal experience, um, I, I had no uh, negative uh, feelings towards any of the men around me. Um, what I felt from them was confusion and um, uh, lack of understanding of how to um, in, bring me into that culture because okay. I was so different. Not because they still saw you as a woman? Woman, Asian. You know, okay, so women and, and okay, women and got, Asian. Okay, right? so so just looking at me from the outset, mm-hmm. um, there was confusion. Um, I did not take that as an insult because I think you know, being Asian, a lot of my experience is um, opening up my culture so that people can start understanding it. I don't take insult that they don't get it. Okay. So I think that if or I- Or they project. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, there is a lot of, um, I think, misunderstandings um, that can either get resolved or can get um, uh, uh, conflated and escalated escalated. very quickly. Yes. Right. And and there is a very fine line to, you know, when that can um, go one way or can go the other way. So this is the area where I probably saw the biggest difference in how my Tai Chi training impacted my own response. And um, when I was younger, I would take a very defensive approach to things and take um, things personally and feel like it's my job to have to defend myself against insults. And And what I perceived as insults and biases that, um, and um, my perspective to that is very, very different. Um, now, because I don't perceive the insults um, to affect me personally. 
uh, because those insults come from a place of um, a person not understanding. And I can either make them understand or not. If they can't understand, then it's not my job to make them understand. Uh, and, uh, but there, if it's a corporate environment, there's more than one person there, right? I, I don't think it is worth letting one person define the entire culture because culture is made up by many, many people. Of, of all the parties so, there. All the parties there, right. Um, so I think that, you know, that's where as women, we need to get a sense of what is the landscape of the environment. And um, instead of focusing on these- What we were sold and personal told. Personal inter- <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, go yeah, ahead. <laughs> right, right. It's like, it's, it's so difficult for you to have to keep trying to prove yourself over and over again, which I think a lot of women um, are, are trying to do because you know they're trying to prove to themselves, to everybody around them that I can do this job. I'm good enough to do this job. I deserve the respect of the people around me. And when you don't get that in the outset, then it can be just really deflating and cause you to become defensive and then feel like I, you know, you know, I have to prove myself. I have to prove myself harder. I have to prove myself harder with each time that you don't. And I think that it's really important for women to stop trying to prove themselves because um, that's not going to earn you the respect. What's going to earn you the respect is for people to start accepting that you are part of the culture, that that you know you are there and belong there because you know you have made yourself ingrained in that culture. And I think one of the things you're referring to is that when when a woman feels like she has to prove herself and prove herself and prove herself, she's just going to burn herself out. She's going to burn herself out and she is going to lose the sense of what makes the group gel because then it just winds up being about you yourself and how you can um, show that you are worth it. And when you're in a group environment, it can't be about yourself anymore. It has to be about how you fit into that culture, whether it's a culture that you wanna be in or mm. not. That's the other conversation about you know, the toxic culture because I think a lot of women um, feel like um, they can thrive in a toxic environment. And they can handle it. Right. And, and why, why would you want to do that to yourself? That's a different conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think that a lot of women, they are trying so hard to prove their worth in their, that environment that they wind up actually um, becoming the thing that makes them um, separate and outside the group. So, so then they've removed themselves from um, the, the thing that um, they, they should be trying to bring themselves into the culture. 
that's how you get accepted. Yeah, I just want to add one more thing before we move on to the next question. And I think that um, one of the traps can be is if I am proving myself so hard to you, now you're controlling the strings like a marionette. And if I forget uh, what drives me, what, my, what are my core values, what's important to me, then slowly I can lose myself. And then one day I could mm -hmm. wake up, look in the mirror and say, wow, who is there? Because I haven't seen myself in five or 10 years or whatever the span of time is. Because if we give ourselves so much without a balance, then, right. um, then we're chasing an external gold star. And I think there is a conversation to be had about, yes, we need to do good work. But I think there's also knowing what are my own standards separate from what are somebody else's standards and how much do I need to, to do to live up to somebody else's standards? Maybe a lot, maybe none at all. But if we're yeah, chasing that gold star so hard, then it, there's also an internal landscape that's going to be affected more than the external implications. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, um, I think that a lot of women do wind up um, falling into um, that, that cycle where they lose themselves to try to chase the success that they want to chase. And then um, at the end of the day, after they've done all of that and they look back and reflect on their career, um, they, they wind up with some regrets because they um, weren't true to um, what makes them feel whole. And that's my advice for everyone, not just women, but everyone who is, you know, trying to make their way in the world, especially for younger people, because mm. this is something that, you know, younger people, you know, they want, they just see that um, having success and having money is just, you know, the highest goal that you can achieve. Right. Um, especially but, if someone's empty on the inside. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it is at the end of the day, like when it is all over and you're looking back and reflecting, if you have completely lost your soul and you don't recognize who you are anymore and your unique voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then, um, you know, you will probably realize that it wasn't worth it. That, that shiny gold star on the outside. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, so for a, a lady employee that's had her world crushed, how might you advise her on rebuilding her life and career so she can have a chance to define, develop, and execute her legacy outside of a toxic experience? And if you'd like to speak directly to the scenario of Karen Ward or Amanda Lai, feel free to just as a scenario for today, because again, they're not the only women that found themselves uh, entrapped. Yeah, I think that um, with that nature analogy, um, you know, I think that women need to know that it is not because of them that they weren't able to thrive in a particular environment. You know, uh, so it, if you are trying to plant a rose in the desert, you know, you can't expect that rose to grow and thrive and bloom. Um, you know, it really does affect, um, you know, how much you thrive in the environment that you're in. So if you 
are in a toxic environment. Find a more nurturing one. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Then, you know, it will take so much effort to thrive. I'm not saying that it's not possible to thrive because you do have, you know, these, you know, you hear about these plants that do seem to bloom in environments that are so, you know, not their natural environment and it happens, but it's rare and um, it takes a lot of effort. Um, And if you focus on um, being in an environment that you you can thrive in, you will thrive, right? So, you know, these women, Amanda Lai and Karen Ward, they are highly capable women, Mm -hmm. right? They were in the wrong environment and they were put in circumstances that um, were not fair. And blindsided them. them. Mm -hmm. Blindsided them. Um, and, uh, so that doesn't mean that you can't thrive if you have a different environment to be in. But I think the most important thing for women, um, coming out of any kind of traumatic experience, and this is true for anyone, not just women coming out of a traumatic, toxic work culture environment, but anyone coming out of a traumatic environment is to not keep reliving that trauma. Yeah. That um, what I do is a mindful practice. Mindfulness is this overused term that I think that, um, you know, people don't really uh, like know that meaning anymore because it's so overused. They forget the meaning. Being mindful means being present in this moment that you're in right now. And if you keep trying to apply all the things that happened in the past to this moment that you're in now, then you will not be able to thrive in this moment that you're in now because you're not fully here. Yeah. You are still in that past moment and filtering all of your experiences that you're dealing with now with what um, happened in the past, you're still not fully present in the moment. You're still not being mindful in this moment. Um, And it's really, really hard to not think about, you know, all the things that happened in the past to stay present. Um, But that's like these mindfulness practices can um, train your mind to be able to live um, mindfully in the present. Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that, that I think a part of it is if uh, an outside party sees you one way, it doesn't mean that you have to buy in and see yourself that way. So I think a part of it is letting go of believing that you're a victim. Mm -hmm. Like maybe in that moment of time, and that moment of time may have been an hour, a week, a year, 10 years, whatever it is, maybe in that moment of time, you're a victim. But now if it's a year later, uh, an hour later, a decade later, um, you don't have to carry that identity. You know, like if somebody works, yeah. for example, I'm just making this up at the post office and they put on the post office uniform every day, they can, there, there comes a day where you don't have to put on the post office uniform. You're no longer a postal worker or a, mm-hmm. a nurse or a firefighter, whatever that quote uniform is. And, and, and so I think similarly in that, I, I think that it, it's being able to say, okay, maybe that person was vic- victimized there, but I don't have to bring that persona forward. 
yeah. and carrying on that mirroring. That's what I would call right. it in the mirroring. Yeah, it that I, I I totally believe that 100%. You know, I do believe that, you know, victims of trauma um, need to heal before they move on. And I think a lot of trauma victims don't allow themselves that time to heal. Um, and uh, so they, they think that they are moving on when um, they, they're not. If you keep revisiting that trauma, then you haven't healed. Um, you're not actually ready to move on yet. You know, and I think a lot of women, they, they feel like they need to just move forward and um, be it strong. will just be right. Be strong yeah. and move forward. Stiff um, upper lip. <laughs> and you can't fully move forward until you digest what happened. Process, honestly, 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 yeah, um, digest and process what happened. Um, you know, you, you have to honestly revisit and um, acknowledge how it hurt you. And, um, you know, really go and, and if you need a professional um, help to, to do that, you should do that so that you can be honest with it and then move on. And then so, when you move on, then, you know, move on with that new perspective that, um, you know, this was the past. Yeah. So unpack, resolve. Okay. Uh, and before I move on to the next question, which has to do with the, the legacy of, of a company or a brand, would you provide maybe one healing tip? Just one. I just thought you might throw it out there. Maybe it'll get the creative juices going for somebody who's watching or listening. Um, healing is so hard because you have to be honest. So you use the word you know, honesty and it is key. I think a lot of people are afraid to um, really be honest about what happened in their lives to really look deep into themselves, to be honest with themselves. Um, we are so good at making up um, just constructs in our mind to protect ourselves, right? And um, we can rationalize anything. And mm. we can rationalize excuses we can rationalize scenarios, um, but until you can break through all of those rationalizations and constructs that your brain has formed to protect your yourself, yeah. I don't think you can truly heal. Like I think that the only way to really heal um, and this is not just healing, but this is growing, just growing in beyond life in general, just, yeah. just growing um, to meet your full potential. You have to first break down all of the barriers. And I think women put up so many more barriers than men do um, because, you know, there's so many things that, and this is from my own personal experience too. It's okay. just all these 
barriers that you put up so that um, you don't wind up feeling hurt, um, mm. so that you don't feel you are weak, you know, mm. that you, you know, want to feel strong. Right. Um, you don't want to feel like you are the weaker sex. So all of these um, barriers that we put up to protect ourselves, um, those are those are barriers that prevent us from being hurt. They're also barriers that prevent us from growing. Yeah. Because we have to be honest with ourselves. Um, we have to be honest with other people. We more importantly have to be honest with ourselves. You know, so this is where, you know, my perspective is from a uniquely physical perspective. Where, you know, I didn't uh, talk about like, what is it that I do? Like, why do I have this unique perspective? What is Tai Chi? So Tai Chi is a martial art that um, you experience in um, a two-person situation where uh, you, you might think of Tai Chi as the slow-moving choreographed set of exercises and um, that that is a part of it, uh, a part of it, yeah. but as the martial art, it is two people connecting to each other and you're trying to direct and redirect each other's force and energy and momentum where, um, if you are resisting and pushing and, you know, really fighting back um, and trying to use your own body's physical strength. Um, that's actually the way for you to get knocked down the fastest. So mm. is how do you stay on your feet when somebody like me, right? I am not a big muscular person. Um, so how do I engage in this practice with somebody who is much bigger and much stronger physically than me? Mm -hmm. It can't be from my physical strength. I can try to make my muscles big and strong, which I tried to do before, but there's a limit to, you know, how big my muscles can be. Um, my maximum is still going to be so much less than the maximum of what a man can build up. So if I try to develop that kind of strength um, to make myself physically stronger in a way a man um, will be physically stronger, mm -hmm. I will still always just be here. Yeah. So I can't develop that kind of strength. I have to um, acknowledge that that is not the strength that I need to develop. Um, I need to be honest with what is my strength uh, and you know how can I navigate this scenario where I can leverage the other person's strength and use it against them. And I just wanted to say, I, I think some women might know their strengths and I think some might not unless because they've had coaching or a mentor or somebody that can look directly at them and say, here is what I see. And to offer them some, uh, some 
feedback. Right. And I think that that is so true where a lot of women, because, you know, they don't know. So they will only see what they're exposed to. Correct. And there's a particular in the media. idea in the media, right. you know, what they're told about what is strong and what, you know, they should be striving for to succeed. Um, and they're all trying to go um, and go down that path that may not follow their strengths. So um, if you don't have that ability to really be honest, then, um, you know, definitely go and get the Some feedback of other people who can be more objective to look. Yeah. It's really hard to be objective with yourself. Yeah. And, and so if a woman can't be a brick wall, would you speak to the strength of water for a moment? And then I'm going to move on to the next question. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like, I don't know if you can see, you know, I have the elements in my back. This is where I do my online um, programming and um, the Chinese elements. You have wood, water, metal, fire, and earth. And water is the one that I connect with the most because, you know, when you think of Tai Chi, you think of water. Um, and the water, it is the soft, this substance where you can't even hold on to it, right? You go and you try to hold water and it just goes right through your hands. You can't hold on to it. But when the water all comes together in one force, I mean, the power of that will um, break through the brick walls. It will take down metal like you see the power and the destruction that a tsunami um can make you know so it's this idea of being fluid so when life tries to knock you down if you are rigid and you try to um physically mm -hmm. if they are really, really strong, and they are stronger physically than, you know, that person who is trying to push them, they can use their hardness to resist and win that fight. But if you are not physically stronger, and you resist, what you do is actually you give power to the other person to push you. When you push someone, what is it that's getting pushed? You're finding something to push against. So um, if you resist and you're not as physically strong as the person pushing you, you actually mm -hmm. give them power. If Because they're you, directing you that moment. They, because they find something to push against. So yeah. what if you don't give them anything to push against? They try to push you, but they can't find that point to push. They push you and... Um, it's like pushing water, mm -hmm. right? So that is the power of, of Tai Chi. And I have used this in my um, experiences with conflict. Um, so I think that this is probably the one thing that had made me the most, or the thing that um, helped me the most as I navigated my corporate career. And so as I advanced in leadership positions, um, you know, it's not like 
people didn't try to push me down or that's, test that's you the corporate world right like yes. that is um well just like you know and I worked in higher ed but it was a very corporate environment there as well and people are trying to get ahead and people have egos and people are trying to um you know advance their um you know vision agenda exactly yeah. exactly and um so you know how do you navigate around that and still be able to advance with what your vision and agenda is so yeah, yeah so to sum up Maybe for uh, employees that have been through a toxic experience, uh, your advice to them might be um, to reconnect with their strengths and weaknesses, to know them, to be honest with themselves, to set aside time to heal, and to not absorb that experience in determining their identity. Right, right. Uh, I think that you know, being, being honest with your strengths and weaknesses and your needs in the culture, the environment. Like if you think of yourself um, as a plant, you know, what is the environment that will more naturally allow that plant to flourish? Um, if you plant yourself in that environment, you know, then it will be easier for you to um, be able to succeed because the environment um, is well, a more natural, you know, environment to nourish you. Um, if you, but you know, that's if you want it to be easy. You know, some women do want to be pioneers, right? Okay. They are willing to um, take those scratches and be the first, and um, you know, then. That's okay too. That's right. admirable. But then um, you need to even more acutely understand the environment that you're in so that you can thrive, so that you're not stomped, right? So, so then it takes even more understanding and nuance to be able to thrive. It takes more care. Um, and I think that like, that's where, um, a lot of women, they feel like, you know, just willing it to happen will make mm. it happen. Oh. <laughs> if I want it enough, yeah. um, then it will happen. And, um, that is, um, not reality like that. Uh, you is an illusion of wishful thinking. Yeah. an illusion of wishful thinking. Um, so I think people, and that's part of the honesty, um, you know, as well is you need to know the environment that you're in and um, how you can actually thrive. You know, it may not be fair. It may not be right. But if that's the environment you have chosen and you have um, chosen to be the pioneer, then um, you know, that's the environment that you're gonna face. Um, and it will be a jungle uh, yeah. because life is a jungle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so in the legacy of a company or a brand, how can they better create their legacy in the marketplace when the top 
priority appears to be protecting the image of the institution. And I said appears. Yeah, uh, I think that this modern age that we're in is um, actually a, a very exciting time where the um, image of the institution um, is no longer completely controlled by the institution anymore. It's, um, I think that an institution is always out to look for their um, image and reputation. Their best interest, yeah. The nature of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, but that image and that um, that reputation is no longer completely controlled by them because of social media, because of just the instantaneous spread of bad information and that negative impact of a brand um, spreads so fast that a company has to address it. Mm -hmm. um, they, it's not like they can just write the PR and then everybody will just listen to that because people will um, spread the negativity about things. So um, that's what brands, um, we see that happening where brands have to address when um, these toxic um, work environments get exposed yeah. and people start, um, you know, pay, putting attention on it. And that, that becomes their reputation and their brand. Okay. So they also have an opportunity to get very honest and grow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's expected. So that's the thing is it is now because we have this younger um, generation of employees that have expectations you know so I think this is going to be something that we're going to be seeing more um, just what the companies are expected to do um, and as we have the leadership changes at the top you know mm -hmm. so right now it's slowly starting to happen mm -hmm. um, and over the next you know 10 years we're going to see you know a lot of that happening as our the younger people um, who expect companies to be socially responsible. Um, and companies have the answer to that. Yeah, so in the scenario of Karen Ward, I found it very interesting. Why didn't the company make right by her? But again, it came down to the contract with the attorney. So if she had signed something related to arbitration, then the contract makes the law and then that's it. But yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And now you see more and more people going against their... Um, you know, there are so many more leaks that come out about NDAs that and it used to, you would think that before NDAs um, and these arbitration agreements were so rock solid in favor of the companies, mm -hmm. but now more and more, there are leaks that come out and um, you don't have, you know, the, the same kind of retribution on um, the, the person leaking. Um, so, you know, there's just, um, I think more and more is going to get exposed and companies need to answer to um, policies that negatively affect their brand. Yeah, so an opportunity for growth. Okay, so the next question, mm -hmm. in the legacy of the investors and shareholders that sit on the board of a company or the donors to an endowment fund, how can they contribute to a company's legacy and caring, again, about more than the image of the institution in protecting profits. And the reason that I bring up donors and endowment fund is because in the documentary, the hunting ground at the top are the donors and endowment funds. Then the second tier is the 
a sports coach of the sports teams, mm-hmm. the director of collegiate athletics. And then at the very bottom is the president. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. And this, I think, um, and we, we see this um, where, because there are so few of these mega donors to endowments, you know, because the concentration of wealth has, you know, gotten um, you know, smaller and smaller, you have, um, you know, actually this, this small group of people who are donating, um, you know, so much money to all of these major institutions. And as these um, donors become uh, more public figures, um, you know, the expectations for what they do is also um, greater. Yeah. Routinized. So there are concerted social efforts to, focus on um, bad uh, behavior by um, donors. um, That maybe just don't care or, sorry. Yeah, so (laughs) things that they need to acknowledge in the past. Mm -hmm. um, So universities, um, the university students um, care passionately about the image of their universities and who's donating money and where that money is coming from. You know, so my perspective is you know, from Yale University where I worked and um, the students were so knowledgeable about who were the major donors to the university oh, wow. and where their money was coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and the legacy of um, you know wh- how that money came from and what they were funding and um, getting a lot of media exposure and um, you know doing concerted efforts to make these donors um, you know become responsible. Well, it's um, interesting because they've got a lot of power and they can direct right. uh, other people. You know, especially if they're at the top. I mean. I don't want to get any sports coaches upset with me, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, I just find it interesting because again, uh, that takes a certain level of emotional intelligence. It takes a certain level of having done the inner work to even care about the repercussions on someone else compared to saying, well, it didn't happen to me. I'm mm-hmm. safe where I'm at. So, and, and that yeah. was one of the questions that came up is thinking, do, do these companies just not have the tools because they could easily retain coaches and advisors and wellness experts and so forth or is it just that they don't care because it's easier and the titans of the industry are bringing the money in so uh you know and it's a number off of an accounting balance sheet if it comes back to culture you know and it's just like um you do what has been done because that's what you know to do and And it's worked in the past because it, it worked in the past because <laughs> no one has really given you an easy way of doing something different and nobody wants to be that first person. So, you know, how does culture change? You know, it's, it, it comes from within because there isn't, e- things have to get done and you're going to do it the easiest way you can. And the easiest way is how you know how to do it and mm-hmm. how what you do um, fits with how everybody else does it. 
Yeah. So that's why it's so hard to change corporate culture because there's so many pieces. And if one of these pieces, somebody wants to do something else, the other pieces don't have an easy way to fit in. And if you try to redesign it from the top down, um, it doesn't, it's not organic. Like it's mm-hmm. not easy. So the flow. It doesn't, the flow. And the um, agreement. So, you know, that's where um, it has to filter in from uh, how the people that are there doing the work, um, that the culture has to change from many from within and, you know, and it takes time. So I think that, you know, the expectations that the younger people in the workforce have going into the workforce now is going to play a huge role in changing corporate culture because what they expect is so different than what the previous generation expected. So yes. they're going to come up with their own ways of doing Handling it. and, and, mm-hmm. and viewing yeah. it, yeah. 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 I just want to share this next uh, thought and then I'm going to move on to the next saucy question. The next question is saucy. Um, I find it very interesting that my social media following, as well as my YouTube uh, subscribers and viewers under age 30. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, I think that um, it is early in your career that, um, you know, you're looking for the insight to help you grow in yes. your career. Right? Yeah. And we didn't get the white paper, the memo, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for women. Um, you know, we have to chart it out. We've got to figure it out. You know, so we're doing the research on how do we grow and how do we succeed? And there still aren't enough charted paths. There are charted paths, but if you want to go on a different path, you know, then you have to go and try to figure that out yourself. So, you know, that's why, you know, your resource um, is so helpful for people to listen to the experiences, because like for me, that was what I did too, was looking at the experiences of, uh, of people, men and women, mm-hmm. um, doing all different kinds of things. And I wouldn't listen. I found so many mentors in my early career to just listen to like, what did you experience um, when you were faced with this problem? What did you do? And it may be completely irrelevant to any scenario that I was in, but that experience was still valuable for me to learn about. Yeah, because I think that people are looking at how do you handle a situation, not only to test you, but also to borrow to see how they can apply to themselves. Okay, so So important, so important. (laughs) (laughs) Although they'll never admit to that. Okay, so um, all right. So here's the next question and I have to keep moving it along. Okay, so do you think that these women employees were exploited as a type of honeypot or others attempted to exploit them? And again, I'm referring to the two articles. And then the next question of following up, the, up on that is how do you think women could avoid or better handle these situations? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, that, 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 
question of whether they were exploited. Uh, you know, I, I I feel like I can't give a very informed um, because I don't know that situation. I wasn't there. Um, I do think that there is um, a lot of retaliation that um, happens against women who do speak up, mm-hmm. um, and um, they um, and that's because people don't like their boat rocked. People <laughs> want stability. Um, people empower, and whoever that power is wants stability. So in this environment where it was um, a very um, uh, male-dominated, um, sexist environment where they saw a woman as you know a particular role, um, mm. When and they seem to be writing the script. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. They're writing the script. They're the ones, I mean, if you're the one in charge, you get to write the script, you Mm -hmm. know, and when, you know, that, um, when you feel that you're losing control over um, that, then you need to put order back, right? Everybody wants order. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants a sense of disorder in a corporate environment. So, you know, that, and who gets to make that order? The person in charge. And if everyone in charge looks exactly the same and thinks exactly the same, um, you know, that's the environment that's going to be. So that I do think that, you know, that's why Mm -hmm. diversity in leadership makes a difference so important and diversity means diversity in thought Mm -hmm. diversity in background diversity in perspective diversity in life experience diversity um where you know it's not just limited to gender or race um it is from different life perspectives Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, then it's not, um, you you can, as an organization, better handle these situations, you know, because, you know, that negative press that these companies have received. Although um, it was a blink of an eye, I felt like, but go ahead. But it's, um, I I don't think so. I think it does permeate, you know, the, because, women um talk about it (laughs) and women remember (laughs) women remember right and you need women in your workforce um so at the end of the day you know we like it's human capital right like yeah yeah yeah, human resources it's human capital and a company cannot thrive without that human capital that comes and the talent in, the yeah. talent yeah and so if you have branded yourself as um you know a place that half of the workforce um you know doesn't want to touch you with a 10-foot pole then um you've hamstringed yourself um and um so that's uh, so negative to your brand um so I think that because uh, it shows short-sightedness it shows short-sightedness and it eventually will also lead to um, your organization not being able to 
handle um, uh, like the, the changes in the workforce where if you have management and leadership only with one perspective, then um, they won't be able to manage a diverse uh, population. Like your, your, if you want diversity in the workplace, which every single company has some sort of diversity policy um, you know, that they believe in a diverse workplace. Um, but if your management is not diverse, then mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to successfully manage a diverse workplace. It just doesn't work. You need to have um, you know, the leadership be able to understand what that means to have diversity in thought. You know, so um, I think that, again, in the next 10 years, when we have more people from the older generation retiring and more people from this younger generation coming up, we're going to see um, these drastic um, changes in and I, what companies expect um, out of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that the younger generation of women coming up, they are very aware and observant. And I think that they are choosing to voice their opinions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So perception is a belief system. People make assumptions off of the get-go in reading the landscape. Let's say, um, and we mentioned this before, let's say the university atmosphere is more of a zoo than a real-life concrete jungle regarding its safety glass. What would you like women to know about real life compared to the illusions we are taught, sold, or told in order to complete their legacy? Yeah, I think we touched a little bit about this early on and um, just kind of revisit that thought where... I think that, um, and, and this I, I think is also just more um, impacting American young women because um, in American society, I think women have been taught in elementary school, in middle school <laughs> about this concept of you know being fair. Everything has to be fair. Or we and can do it all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there is, you know, every, you know, women can do everything that men can do. And um, it, there's it this expectation um, that when you um, go out into the world and your first exposure to the world is college. I mean, it's For still most. this mm -hmm. sheltered, um, you know, artificial environment, but it's your first time away from home where mm -hmm. you are on your own and you get to see people um, for who they are without the tethers of parental control uh, over them, right? So this is the, the first time people get to just run wild. Yeah. And they, and as a uh, college student, you know, you still ha don't have full control of your impulses yet. Okay. Um, and so it is people being their worst selves without um, having the brain um, fully developed to be responsible yet and without the parental control reining them in. So, so the rebellion. The rebellion. Yeah. The, um, you know, testing limits of 
you know, just letting themselves be as wild as they can, because that is um, the time that they think, you know, is, is when they can do it. Because after you finish college, then you have to be responsible. You, you have <laughs> a job. responsible adult. Right? Yes. Yes. So, you know, that, so women now are exposed in this environment where you see people as their worst selves, um, trying and, and, you know, just running away with impulses um, and expecting that it's still going to be this safe, um, sheltered uh, kind of environment where people are on their best behavior. And then you see people on their worst behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So two last questions for a woman in a family business who has to face areas around family dynamics, what advice would you give to her regarding the loneliness that she will face? And here's the good news before I have that question to pose to Shirley, the good news right now is women in family businesses are the the pioneers leading the way with the glass ceiling given succession. So, Um, and not just now, but um, since, uh, businesses, uh, since women were first involved in family businesses, which is a long time ago, like that is where, um, that's my exposure to business, actually. My parents were small business owners and my mom was the one that managed the store. That she, my dad was off um, trying to, um, you know, get his factories going overseas and trying to grow um, his legacy. My mom was the one that was managing the store to make sure that we had money to pay the bills and, you know, we could um, uh, and pay the mortgage and eat. And she was the one that did it. And it was so many other small businesses that I grew up with seeing that it was the woman. If it was a mom and pop business, a lot of small businesses are mom and pop businesses where mm-hmm. it was the woman who was the one that was really managing more of the day to day business where you know the, the men were out making the deals. The women were the ones to make sure that they understood what was the accounting, what was the actual financial situation, um, and um, growing the contacts with the relationships with um, other business people. Um, so like, I, I think that women in small business, uh, they have more support um, than women in um, like these corporate environments where you still have fewer women in leadership positions. Right? You have all of these women small business groups that are all around all the major cities for okay. women to find support um, with themselves. And um, there is a lot of you know, financial um, support and grants and loans for women in small businesses too uh, um, that are there to encourage. So I think that uh, that is just really a wonderful path, um, opportunities. Um, and I'm a woman in small business uh, too. And yeah, it's been wonderfully supportive, all the people that I've been able to meet, um, okay. other women 
you know, and, and I have to say that, you know, when I was in like corporate, um, my mentors, I, um, they were men. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had to find male mentors because there just weren't enough female mentors for me to find. Um, so like to have small business women mentors, so many, I think it's wonderful. Okay, that's a beautiful answer. I wasn't expecting that, but that's a beautiful answer. <laughs> so she doesn't necessarily have to be lonely if she can realize the network that is out there. Let me just move my hair mm-hmm. back. Okay, realize the network and the resources that are out there that she doesn't have to be an island. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is such a great time to start a small business. And so many women have taken that step for themselves um, and have found, um, you know, it, it's not easy. You know, I, will, I don't wanna say that it is an easy path because if you um, are going to start something new, you have to make sure that you are able to, um, you have a good business model that you know that you can make, um, it, you know, in the make it and you need to have um, a backup to, you know, in case it doesn't work out. Um, but if you have, done your research and you think that you can make it work, um, it's so rewarding for you to be able to do that. And there are so many resources to give you that support. Like the the first get together social activity that I did was um, getting together with some of the small, the the women small business owner friends that I have um, where like we have all kind of expanded during the pandemic where, um, you know, we were doing more during COVID time than we were before COVID time. Um, And uh, we got together and just kind of celebrated our successes and gave each other some, you know, support, um, encouragement and inspiration. Good, good. And final question, what would you like your life's legacy to be? That's really hard because, you know, I don't know yet um, because there's still so much more to it that I don't know, Um, but I want to be able to do it with mindfulness, like wherever I end up. I I, I don't want to write my story yet until it's at the end, Um, but where my life goes, I want it to be done with mindfulness, with honesty, and um, with um, embracing the unknown. Like that is, uh, and that's what I want my children to see that um, I do with my life. And it's not just with my career, but it's like life in general. Like I I have a little different perspective on the work-life balance thing, just because of the choices that I made. I decided that um, it's just life, right? Like I only have life in part of my life includes making sure that I earn an income so that I can afford the things that I need to afford. But I don't consider that part as work. It's also my life. Like it's just 
all life for me. Sometimes I need a little bit less money. Sometimes I need a little bit more money, depending on what's happening. And I adjust, um, you know, what part of my life is leisure? What part is it with my kids? What part of it is teaching? Um, and it just kind of, you know, either um, contracts or expands as needed. That's my life. Um, and I want my children to see that, you know, I make my life choices, um, being honest, honest mm -hmm. to others, honest to myself, um, and not, um, not doing something because I'm scared, you mm. know, because life is just full of unknown. You don't yes. know until you try. Um, I might fail miserably, like I might like completely fall on my face. Um, but then that's a learning moment for me. Um, I might try it again, right? yes. <laughs> try it a, a little differently. Um, I might not try it at all. Um, but I'm not going to not try because I'm afraid I'm going to fall. Right. Um, because the only way, and this is also now like the Tai Chi training is, um, like my experience is I get pushed around and I am either going to stay on my feet or my butt is going to land on the ground. Yes. And the only way I can learn how to stay on my feet is to figure out how to not have my butt land on the ground. Yes. Dancing in the moment. Yes. Many, many times of my butt landing on the ground <laughs> until I figure out how I can stay on my feet. Like it's yeah. not something I can theorize. I can't say this is how I'm going to stay on my feet because that my, you know, most likely that's not the reality. I have to figure it out by actually getting pushed and I can, um, stay on my feet <laughs> an application yes application so yeah. that's like my whole life is through application um and uh yeah so that that that's what I think of like, like leaving my legacy <laughs> good good um thank you so much Shirley for tackling some of some of these difficult subjects that I know are not always comfortable to talk about. I know we've had these conversations in private, but it's another thing to bring it to a public forum to invite the, the you know, any outside listener or viewer in, but it also gives them a chance to reflect on um, alternative narr narratives outside of just what maybe the media talks about, whether it's in the Huffington Post or mm -hmm. um, different real estate websites. And I just also wanted to acknowledge that you know, you are living your legacy right now, kind of like the metaphor of the water that you brought up. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you've been, you know, one foot in the corporate world, just as you've got one foot now in the world of, you know, being an entrepreneur. And so I hope that your positive example can um, resonate with anyone out there that, you know, is searching. And I think that, um, as we've talked about, there are many individuals right now who are of Generation Z and Y that are looking for examples outside of my what might just be readily available. And so I just wanted to say thank you for oh, your Thank you so much. I think, thank you so much for letting me share my thoughts, you know, and it is like a, a slightly different perspective, I think, than what is generally told to women. Um, I, and I guess I'll just end with, um, you know, something that I, I really believe strongly in is I don't think it does women justice to feed them a false sense of empowerment. Um, 
because I don't think that it helps them to be able to really do what needs to be done to succeed, where, um, you know, just because you believe that things should be a certain way um, and you feel empowered to make that happen doesn't mean that that's going to happen. More likely than not, um, you're going to come up against a wall. So if you can set your own ego aside, no longer feel like you have anything to prove, right? So think about like when you, the success that you want, is it the success of doing it that you want? Or is it the acknowledgement that you did it that you want? They're two different things. If you want the acknowledgement that you did it, that might actually get in the way of you being able to do it. Because, you know, I can help you navigate if you want to be that water finding the cracks, you know, and like get, you know, to where you want to go. Um, uh, it, a lot of it may actually be um, things that you won't get recognized for that you, and you don't want to um, maybe put yourself um, so visibly out that you're doing it because it's easier to um, fly under the radar until you end up there. And then all of a sudden, hey, how did that rose bloom in the desert? I don't remember it getting planted there, but hey, here it is and it's thriving. Um, Though, you know, be that, you know, instead of being the one who, you know, is the first to plant that rose in the desert. (laughs) Okay, wonderful. Okay. So thank you so much. And what's the best way if somebody wanted to reach out to you? Well, um, you can reach me on uh, my website, uh, iping-taichi.com. Uh, I'm also on social media. So we have an Instagram, iping-taichi. Uh, I'm on Twitter, um, The Stress Bender on Twitter. Um, and we have a YouTube channel, iping-taichi Center. So basically, if you search A-I-P-I-N-G, um, T-A-I-C-H-I, you will find me. <laughs> I live stream on Twitch as well. Um, so I do do a um, free live stream on Twitch where I teach um, techniques to people around the world, which has been a lot of fun. It's reaching a younger audience than who would normally come into my school for live lessons. So that's um, been a, a lot of fun to teach concepts and philosophy and techniques. Okay, so thank you so much. And thank um, you so much, Angelina. And all of those will be in the show notes also. All right. It's been so much fun having this conversation. Okay. Okay. Take care.